Welcome to the Sandy Springs United Methodist Church Podcast, where we bring you weekly sermons that uplift your soul, strengthen your spirit, and praise the Lord. Whatever your reason for listening, we're grateful for you spending your time with us. May God open your heart to love and your ears to hear. Please remain standing for a reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. Later that day, when evening came, Jesus said to them, Let's cross over to the other side of the lake. They left the crowd and took him in a boat just as he was, and other boats followed along. Gale force winds arose, and waves crashed against the boat so that the boat was swamped. But Jesus was in the rear of the boat, sleeping on a pillow. They woke him up and said, Teacher, don't you care that we're drowning? He got up and gave orders to the wind and He said to the lake, Silence, be still. The wind settled down, and there was a great calm. Jesus asked them, Why are you frightened? Don't you have faith? Overcome with awe, they said to each other, Who then is this? Even the wind and sea obeys him. I remember Sunday, May 17, 2015, unlike any other Sunday of any other year. It was inevitable, I guess, and it was time to acknowledge the beginning of the end because it was the last time we would ever see a new episode of Mad Men on TV. Now, if you haven't ever seen the show Mad Men, uh, I won't spoil anything for you, but it's been off the air for about three years. But for seven seasons of the show, Those who watched it came to have this love-hate relationship with Don Draper, the main character. We loved him as a character because he was successful at what he did. He didn't put up with pretense from false people, which, if you know the character, is odd coming from him. But we also hated that character, Don Draper, because of the way he treated those closest to him because he was sloppy, because he fell from grace many times, and he lost relationships simply by not trying. We love the character because he's everything that we want to be, but he's really everything that we are, everything that embodies what's wrong with us. And in one of the final episodes of the series, there's this quote where he says, I broke all my vows. I scandalized my children. I took another man's name and I made nothing of it. If you're familiar with our communion liturgy, we pray the prayer of confession every time before we come to the table where we say we have broken your law, O Lord. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors. We have not heard the cry of the needy. Don gives this confession over the phone to his one constant friend and colleague throughout the years. And then he walks into a group therapy session. In the previous episodes, he's mocked or rolled his eyes at those moments as other people are pouring out their hearts. But in this season, in this session, in this episode, Leonard, another man in the group, is giving a story about feeling invisible. And as Leonard is simply sharing, Don reaches emotional rock bottom. 
And while he's there, he finds the compassion that makes this character so compelling. He goes over to Leonard, he gives him a hug, and for moments, these two grown men are crying in each other's arms, acknowledging their failure, their fears, all at once. And in this story, it leads to a very unique ending of this seven-year series. Don crosses over from fear, anxiety, from worry, from self-doubt, into becoming what he considers, or the viewer is invited to see as his best self. Now I'll leave that for debate if Don Draper's our aspirational hero for the day, but he crossed over. In our lesson from Mark's Gospel, we pick up as Jesus has finished a long day of teaching about soil, about plants, about mustard seeds, about lampstands, about understanding what the kingdom of God looks like. Jesus is ready to call it a day and get away from the crowds, and he says to his disciples, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, leaving the adoration, the praise, the wonderment, leaving the crowds behind, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. Just as Christ was. But did they really know who Jesus was in that moment? Do we really know who Christ is when we call upon his name? Let's not beat up on the disciples too much, because we don't really take Jesus as he is. We try to put Jesus into our own images or form him and onto our own making. Because it's certainly easier to love Jesus when he looks like me rather than someone who looks like they were actually born in Bethlehem. It's certainly easier to love Jesus when Jesus fits comfortably into my way of thinking and doesn't challenge me with all that love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, blessed are the peacemakers nonsense. It's easier to take Jesus as he is when I can make him just as he is rather than hear the call just as I am. But the disciples, back to the story. The disciples took Jesus with him in the boat just as he was. The very next thing that we read about in Mark's gospel is that the storm comes up. Waves crash into the boat, and the story tells us that the boat is already being swamped. I love that imagery. If you got caught out in the rain in these afternoon Georgia thunderstorms, if you've been overwhelmed, you know what it's like to be swamped. You find yourself transitioning from place to place, you know what it's like to be swamped. If you find yourself filled with emotions of gratitude, excitement, or wonder, of anticipation, of knowing that you will never be able to express gratitude for the ones who have brought you here, who have dug the wells from which we now drink, you know what it's like to be swamped. If you look out upon the world and see the news and wonder how you can make a difference, you know what it's like to be swamped. We all know what that feeling is like, whether we're able to articulate it or not. The reality is that we're there. It's the world that we live in. We are caring for those who look like us and those who don't look like us. We're caring for parents who are aging, for loved ones, who are on their last legs of life, we are swamped. And so we cry out to God, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? 
Three years ago, saw the end of Mad Men, but three years ago on June 17th, we woke up on a Thursday morning to learn about a mass shooting, a hate crime in a church at a prayer meeting in a Bible study in Charleston, South Carolina at Mother Emanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church. Still unsure of the motives, it was a horrible act of violence and terror that makes us all question and cry out to God, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? But in the days following that event, I read many reflections as people tried to make sense of it. Our bishop gave us these words. They've stuck with me for three years, and they seem just as important today. Muslims are killing Muslims. People are killing Christians. Christians are killing Christians. Unbelievers are killing believers. Believers are killing believers. Across our world today, there is violence of every kind and every description. And even here, if we're honest with ourselves, we realize we walk the street with a little bit of uncertainty. Conflict, anger, harsh words. We tune into news that stimulates hostile rhetoric. We try to pit people against each other. And we ask ourselves, am I speaking the truth? And it breaks my heart, and I know it breaks the heart of God. Sometimes when we're dealing with very controversial issues, we find it easier to demonize other people, to say, if you don't agree with me, you must be of the devil. But the church must find a better way, because the world needs to see us be totally and completely honest with each other. We should never back down from what we believe deep in our hearts God is calling us to be. But at the same time, treat our brothers and sisters, especially those who disagree with us, with more respect and with more courtesy than they have been extended. And when we feel faint, when we feel weak, we must remember Jesus on the cross with his arms outstretched, talking to the Father about me and about you and saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. What does being the church look like? Following the incidents in Charleston, several family members were given the opportunity to speak at the sentencing of the perpetrator of the violence. Tawanza Sanders' mother, Felicia Sanders, said, We welcomed you Wednesday night in our Bible study with open arms. You have killed some of the most beautiful people that I know. Every fiber in my body hurts, and I will never be the same. Tawanza was my hero, but as they say in the Bible study, we enjoyed you, but may God have mercy on your soul. The sister of DePayne Middleton, doctor, said, I'm a work in progress, and I acknowledge that I am very angry. But my sister taught me that we are the family that love built, and we have no room for hate, so we have to forgive, and I thank God. It's a very unusual practice to have family speak at the sentencing of someone who could perpetuate such violence. But Chief Magistrate Justice James Gosnell said later in an interview, I set the tone of my court. I'm a Charlestonian. Our community is hurt. Our community gets hurt. People have to reach out and tell them it's good to grieve, but it's best to forgive. 
Teacher, do you not know that we are perishing? And Jesus wakes up from his slumber. But he doesn't turn to the disciples to give them comfort. Jesus does not strategically form a plan to deal with the issues. And he doesn't even use this moment to give another one of his stories. Instead, Jesus turns to the wind, to the storm, to the sea, to the forces at work, and directly shouts with exclamation points in the Bible, Peace, be still. It's one of the few times the Bible uses exclamation points, so you've got to know that Jesus means it. Peace, be still. First verses of the Bible say, In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Peace, be still. The earliest records of our history as God's people have God existing over the waters and moving. Before light and dark, before night and day, before land and sea, there was God, and there was the deep and the face of the water. And God says, let there be light. And Mark tells us that Jesus says, peace, be still. When you feel that you are swamped, peace, be still. When you feel that you cannot go on, peace, be still. When you feel like life is out of control, peace, be still. God is not speaking to us to calm down or to lower our voice, but to remind us that God is more powerful than the storms of life. It does not mean that there will not be storms. It does not mean that there will not be worry. It does not mean that there will not be cause for concern. It means that God is greater. In the midst of the teachings, in the midst of the miracles, in the midst of the calm, in the midst of the storm, in spite of our fears, of our doubts, of our worries, and through our work and through our rest, through our time together, when we feel overwhelmed, when we feel that we are already being swamped, we find ourselves once again at the beginning of the gospel reading for today. Despite our selfish selves, despite our lack of hope, despite our stormy hearts, despite the rainy moon, despite the ebbing tide of how we think this world should be, Jesus turns to the storm. Jesus calms the seas. He says, peace. Be still. And then he invites us to cross over to the other side. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our closing hymn is hymn number 529. What a friend we have in Jesus. We invite you to stand and join us in singing. Thank you for listening to the Sandy Springs United Methodist Church Podcast. We hope that you have found our podcast helpful and hope to be in ministry not only to you, but with you. For more information about Sandy Springs United Methodist Church, please visit www.ssumc.org. Until next time, may God bless you.